are listening to a sermon from Sojourn Church in Fairfax, Virginia. We hope that this is an encouragement to you no matter where you find yourself on your spiritual journey. If you're not already, we would encourage you to connect to your local church. If you'd like to find out more about Sojourn in particular, please visit our website at sojournfairfax.com. May God bless you now as you listen to the preaching of his word. All right, you guys can grab your seats. It is good to be with you again, and it hasn't started thundering yet, so we can give thanks for that. I know last week it was uh, a little ominous at times, but uh, hopefully we can hang together for a while now and open up God's Word. It's good, again, just to see you face-to-face. If we haven't met before, my name is Justin. I'm one of the pastors here at Sojourn, and just looking forward to diving into God's Word with you this afternoon, this evening. But before we do that, let's just go to the Lord in prayer. So would you pray with me? God, we come before you today, and we just want to praise you for who you are. God, we thank you that you, the God of all creation, who made everything out of nothing, saw fit to create us and bring us here in this moment at this time. And God, we're thankful that we don't have to wonder who you are, that you've revealed yourself to us in and through your word. And that as we look at your word, we learn more about who you are. And as we learn more about you, God, we learn more about ourselves in light of who you are. And so as we open up your word now, God, I pray by the power of your Holy Spirit that you would illuminate your scriptures for us so that we might see Jesus more clearly today. And as we see Jesus more clearly today, God, would you help us to faithfully follow our King in all that we do in this life. And all of it be worshiped towards you. So God, we thank you for this time. Would you be honored and glorified by it? And we pray all this in Christ's name. Amen. Do any of you guys remember the old Holiday Inn Express commercials? Anybody know what I'm talking about? Those old commercials. Maybe these out, this is dating this because I think they came out uh, maybe 10 or 15 years ago. But these old Holiday Inn Express commercials, this is one of them, okay? The commercial begins in an operating room. And the doctor's there, the surgeon's there, and he's in the middle of an operation. And he asks the nurse how things are going. How's the patient look? She says, good. How's his blood pressure? It's good. He says, all right, well, let's go ahead and close him up. And he, he pulls his surgical mask down, and the nurse kind of surprised, says, wait a minute, you're not Dr. Stewart. And he says, no, but I did stay at a Holiday Inn Express last night. And, and the byline of the, of the commercial at the end says, if, it won't make you smarter, but you'll feel smarter. Right? I mean, it's, that's funny to think about, because in real life, that would never happen. We would never be okay with someone operating on someone who doesn't have the expertise to do that and the credibility to back that up. It's funny because it's not real. But as we come to our text today, closing out John chapter 10, we see Jesus make some more bold statements about himself that affect our lives. And it begins by making a statement about salvation and security. But in order for what Jesus says to hold any weight in our life, in order for what Jesus says to provide any comfort in our life, any encouragement in our life, in order for what Jesus says to actually be true, It has to be backed up by genuine credibility. And it's exactly because of Jesus' credibility that this bold statement that he makes can actually give you and I great confidence in the midst of our life. Give us great hope in a world that is full of uncertainty. A world that regularly makes false promises of security. And I really believe that if we press into what Jesus is saying to this crowd and then turn to us, because this is his word to us, that God can use it to encourage you in your life and significantly transform how you relate to God in your everyday life. So no matter where you find yourself on your spiritual journey, let's dive into John 10 and may we all see Jesus more clearly today. 
Last week, when we were in the beginning of John 10, we saw Jesus addressing the religious leaders. And he was addressing this observing crowd, and and particularly how those religious leaders had treated the man who was born blind, but Jesus had miraculously healed and now was following Jesus because these religious leaders had treated him roughly. They hadn't treated him with care. And so he paints this wonderful picture, this illustration, this idea of what a good shepherd does in relationship to his sheep, trying to show the difference between how they've treated him and how they should treat him. And Jesus lays this illustration out and he says, the good shepherd cares for his sheep, but thieves and robbers, they, they break in and they come to steal and kill and destroy. And Jesus makes it really clear in the midst of this picture that he's painting that he's talking about himself. He says, I'm the door. I'm the way for you to be led out of darkness and death, out of sin and captivity into a right relationship with God to have rest in him. I'm the good shepherd. I'm the one who's out in front leading you and protecting you. I'm leading my sheep to green pastures and still waters. As we come to our text today, we see in verses 22 and 23 that some time has passed by since this interaction, but Jesus brings it back up again. We learn that it's winter time, and there's a feast that's taking place called the Feast of Dedication. Now, this is not a feast that's mentioned in the law of God for God's people to do. It's actually a new feast that they've started to Uh, participate in. And what they do during this feast is they're celebrating the rededication of the temple that took place in 164 BC. After a Greek ruler had come and desecrated the temple, they came together every year after that to rededicate it and celebrate the fact that the temple had been consecrated again. It's also called the Festival of Lights, or as we call it today, Hanukkah. Jesus is in the temple near Solomon's colonnade or portico. It's a place that he often would go to, to teach in the temple. It's a place that his first followers gathered together after his death and resurrection where the the early church began to gather together to hear the word preached and to worship with one another. And there's a group that gathers around Jesus to ask him a question and make a statement. Look at verse 24. It says, So the Jews gathered around him and said to him, How long will you keep us in suspense? If you are the Christ, tell us plainly. Now, Christ and Messiah are interchangeable words about the same person. If we look throughout the scriptures, we see that God says that a a redeemer will come, a rescuer will come to redeem God's people out of all of their captivity, to release them from oppression in their life and bring an everlasting peace to God's people. And so throughout history, God's people have been looking for this Messiah to come, looking for this Christ to come. And so Jesus says, or they ask this question, are you this guy? We have to understand that the Messiah or the Christ often came with connotations of of politics or military might. See, God's people oftentimes, they believed or wanted a new king to come who would overthrow their earthly rulers, who would overthrow these earthly rulers and give them peace. What they weren't expecting, what they weren't looking for was a suffering servant, a suffering servant who would actually release them from their greatest oppressor, their own sin. So God's people have been looking for Christ, and they know what's being said about Jesus. The people are murmuring and whispering and talking about who Jesus is, and so they bring this question to Jesus. But we have to understand that as they ask Jesus this question, as they make this statement about Jesus, they're not doing so in some kind of genuine way. They're not looking to say, Jesus, can you tell us a little bit more about yourself? Because I think I might be interested in following you. I think I might be interested in worshiping you. 
Now see, they come to Jesus to ask this question because they want unequivocal information from Jesus himself because they're trying to build an argument against him. They're trying to build an argument against him so they can eliminate him. But Jesus knows what they're up to because Jesus knows the heart of humanity. And Jesus answers their question, but in doing so, he tells them way more than what they were asking. And it's in his answer that you and I can find encouragement for our own lives as we seek to know and follow Christ. Look at verse 25. Jesus answered them, I told you and you do not believe. The works that I do in my Father's name bear witness about me. Now, the interesting thing about this comment is that Jesus hasn't explicitly and publicly said, I am the Christ. He's communicated that in different smaller settings. If you go back to the woman at the well, you remember her interaction with Jesus, her encounter with Jesus. He reveals himself as the Christ, as the Messiah to her, but he hasn't publicly declared that he is. And there's a reason for that. The reason is, is because Jesus knows what they think the Messiah should look like, what he should be coming to do. And he knows the real Messiah isn't going to look anything like what they expect. So he answers them and he tells them, I've told you, but the way that I've told you is through my words and my works, through what I've done. They've shown who I truly am. Now, this might sound like a similar response that we look at another story in scripture. When John the Baptist is put in prison, he sends some of his messengers to ask Jesus a very important question. He sends them out and he wants these messengers to ask Jesus, Jesus, are you the Messiah? Are you the Christ? Or is there somebody else that we should be looking for? And maybe you remember Jesus' response to that. In Matthew chapter 11, this is how Jesus answers that question. He says, go and tell John what you hear and see. The blind receive their sight and the lame walk. Lepers are cleansed and the deaf hear and the dead are raised up. And the poor have good news preached to them. And blessed is the one who is not offended by me. So Jesus gives a similar kind of answer to this kind of mixed motive crowd here, saying, my words and my works testify to who I truly am, yet you don't believe. All of the works that I've done, you've seen them, you've heard about them, they've gone out, all of them scream in unison to you, I am the promised one. I am the rescuer. I am the redeemer that you've been looking for. Who else could do these kinds of things that you've seen me do, that you've heard me do? But then Jesus presses in a bit further into this crowd, into their motives, into what's actually going on in their life and their heart. He says, though, but the reason you don't actually believe me, the reason you haven't begun to follow me, it isn't because you're not smart enough. It isn't because you don't know all the right answers. It isn't because you're not insightful. The reason you don't believe, verse 26 says, it's because you are not among my sheep. You're not among my sheep. The Savior of the world is standing right in front of them, right in front of them, yet they are blinded. They're blinded by their own sin from the salvation that they need from their sin that's standing literally in front of them. They continue to willingly choose self and sin over God, self and sin over his good ways, shown and seen in the person and work of Jesus. The reality is that's the case for every single person, for all of humanity. Romans chapter 3, verses 9 through 12, the Apostle Paul writes this, All are under sin. As it is written, none is righteous, no, not one. No one understands, no one seeks for God. All have turned aside. See, the core of our sin, our rebellion, is that we've thrown off God's good authority in our life. 
We, we've decided that we want to go our own way. We want to do our own thing. We turn aside because we want to be the king of our life or the ruler of our life or the God of our life. We want to be God. It's what Adam and Eve did in the garden. It's what we all continue to do. It's the case for every single person who's ever been born or will be born aside from Christ for all of us until, until we hear the voice of our Savior calling us to himself. Until we hear his voice. Look at verse 27 and 28. Jesus says this, My sheep hear my voice, and I know them, and they follow me. I give them eternal life, and they will never perish. This is such amazing news that Jesus says. He says, when I call people to myself, he's not calling you to himself in some way to try to convince you of something. He's not making an argument, a well-crafted argument. You're like, well, Jesus, when I weigh all these things out, it makes sense. I should choose you over myself and over sin in my life. No, he isn't doing that. He isn't trying to convince you of anything. When Jesus calls you to himself, it's effectual when he calls you. The grace that Jesus offers you is irresistible. When he speaks grace to you and speaks your name and calls you by name to yourself, you rise up from the grave and you come to him because the voice of Jesus is beckoning you to himself. And when you believe, when you place your faith and your hope and your trust in Jesus, it isn't because you figured it out. It isn't because you're smart enough to know and weigh out all the things that Jesus might say. It's only because God does a work in your life. Your, your mind and my mind, we are, they are darkened by sin. They are captive to sin. Our hearts are hardened by the deceitfulness of sin. But when Jesus truly calls you and you believe in him and begin to follow him, it's because God gives you the ability to do that, to see your need for your Savior and he gives you faith to trust in him instead of doing what we've all done for our whole life, which is trust in ourselves. Ephesians chapter 2 tells us that faith is a gift from God. It's a gift from God. And when the blinding scales of sin and rebellion fall off of your eyes and you're able to see Jesus for who he truly is, then we start to follow him. We see him as the only one who can redeem us from our sin, the only one who can reconcile us to our God, the only one who can restore our humanity. He alone can give not just abundant life, but eternal life. He alone is the one that overcomes the death that all of us deserve because of our sin. Jesus alone overcomes it. See, Jesus once again is pointing out what he's going to do. He's looking forward to the cross when he'll go willingly to that cross to be crucified for you and for me, all of our sin put on his back and the punishment and wrath that we deserve poured out on him, culminating in his resurrection from the grave. Friends, we need to understand, as Jesus says here, that if you are his sheep, he knows you. He knows everything about you. He knows your life from beginning to end. He knows everything that you would do and will do. As you seek to follow him or in the, the many places in our life where we seek to disobey him, he knows you. But when you hear his voice and you follow him, Jesus leads you. And he leads you out of darkness and he leads you out of your sin and he leads you out of captivity. He overcomes your greatest enemy, Satan and sin. He leads you into freedom and life. And man, that is good news. That is amazing news. But you know what? Jesus gives us even more good news. Look at the rest of verses 28 and 29. He says, my sheep hear my voice, verse 27, my sheep hear my voice and I know them and they follow me. I give them eternal life and they will never perish and no one will snatch them out of my hand. 
My Father who has given to them to me is greater than all, and no one is able to snatch them out of the Father's hand. Man, I love this. See, the idea of snatch is a, a use of force. And I think we all know, kids and adults, that, that grabbing stuff and yanking stuff away from people is not a good idea. Right? We, we talk to our kids about that. Like, hey, if you want something, you don't just go up and grab it out of somebody's hands. You don't just yank it from them. You're showing force. That's not loving. That's not kind. But we have to understand that there's an enemy out there who hates you. He hates you because you're made in the image of God. He hates you if you've started to follow Christ because you've experienced grace and you've experienced redemption in Jesus. And he doesn't want that for your life. And so he comes against you. He seeks to snatch you away, to grab you by force and put you back in the chains of sin, to grab you by force and put you back in the chains of death. Paul tells us in Ephesians chapter 6 that we don't battle against flesh and blood. We battle against the cosmic powers, the forces of darkness that are coming against you. But we have to see what Jesus is telling us here. This good news, this amazing news that he's telling us here, what he's telling you here is that if you are in Christ, you are unsnatchable. You're unsnatchable. Now, that's not a real word. I made it up this week. But man, I like it. You are unsnatchable. No one can snatch you out of the hand of Jesus, out of the hand of the Father. Because Jesus doesn't run away like a hired hand when trouble comes your way and trouble will come your way. Jesus doesn't run away from you. If you are truly in him, you are truly one of his sheep, he will never let you go. No one can snatch you away. Jesus holds you tight. And even when the thief comes against you, when he comes against you to try and steal and kill and destroy, he never wins. He's never successful with Jesus' sheep. Now, this doesn't mean that in this life you're not going to experience difficulty or suffering or even death. What it means is, is that the enemy is unable to destroy your soul. He's unable to take it away from God's presence. He's unable to take it away and put it back into captivity. Being unsnatchable also doesn't mean that you won't struggle with sin in your life, that you won't struggle with disobedience and doubt. But even in that, and this is how radical grace is, this is how amazing grace is, even as you struggle with sin and struggle with disobedience and struggle in doubt in your relationship with God, your standing with God remains the same. He he doesn't say, I, I think I made a bad choice with you. You didn't turn out quite the way that I hoped that you would. You don't have as much potential. You were a blue, trip, blue chip player in high school, but it hasn't worked out so well now. No, God doesn't look at you and make mistakes in your life. He knows everything about you, and he's never going to let you go. Colossians 3.3 says your life is hidden with Christ in God. Think about this. Your life, if you are in Jesus, it's hidden with Christ in God. Like, that just sounds secure. It's locked down. It's secure. It's safe. It's certain. Not because you're really good at maintaining it, though. Not because you're able to protect yourself from being snatched away. Your ultimate security as one of Jesus' sheep has nothing to do with the ability of the sheep to protect themselves. I mean, we talked about this a little bit last week. Sheep are not the smartest animals in the world, right? Like, they don't do a great job of protecting themselves. Their heads are down in the grass. They're not noticing their surroundings. They could easily get picked off. They need a shepherd. Your, Your security in Christ and with God is based on the ability of the good shepherd who laid down his life for you to keep you and the father who stands behind the protection of Jesus' sheep. This means, and I think maybe some of you need to hear this in particular this evening, 
This means that you don't have to do a bunch of things in your life. You don't have to do a bunch of things in your life like, man, if, did I give enough? Did I serve enough? Did I read my Bible enough? Did I go to church enough? And hope that you'll be saved because of those things. Did I do enough things and hope that salvation will be mine in the end? Because your salvation is secure if you are in Christ, if you've been united to him. Because your salvation was never something that you obtained on your own. It was a gift of grace through faith. Listen, if you are in Christ, you are united to him by faith, or if you are one of his sheep, you will persevere to the end because God will keep you to the end. He will keep you to the end and Jesus will see you all the way home. Now, this is a really strong statement that Jesus makes. He's saying, I'm the Messiah. I'm the rescuer. I'm the Christ. And no one can take you away from me. No one can snatch you. You are unsnatchable. How can Jesus say this? I mean, how can he actually back this up? Well, Jesus tells us in another mic drop moment, and it isn't because he stayed at a Holiday Inn Express last night. Look at verse 30. He says, I and the Father are one. I and the Father are one. Now, Jesus isn't saying that they are one and the same, like sometimes he's the Father and, and sometimes he's the Son. No, he's saying we are the same in Unity, we are the same in essence. God the Father is God, and I the Son am also God. See, Jesus can say all that he said. He can make all of these promises and all of these statements because of who he is, God in human flesh. Now, you may read that phrase there, I and the Father are one, and think, well, I, he doesn't quite say that. Are you sure that's what he means? We know that's what he means because of how the, the religious leaders and the people around him react. In verse 31 they, they think Jesus is saying he is God because they pick up stones to stone him once again. And Jesus responds, he steps in, and he asks him a question. He says, what work of mine do you stone me for? What, why are you doing this to me? And they respond, verse 33, look at it. The Jews answered him, it is not for a good work that we're do, going to stone you, but for blasphemy, because you, being a man, make yourself God. This is so interesting to me. The Jews recognize his humanity, but they deny his deity. They recognize his humanity, but they deny his deity. But think about who Jesus is. Jesus isn't a man who's making himself out to be God. He's God who's existed for all eternity as the son who took on flesh, who took on humanity, who came to dwell among us. He's God who has made himself to be man so that he can live among us and be with us. They get it backwards. Jesus replies by quoting Psalm 82. His point in all those, those next few verses is if you can call judges gods as representatives of God, then why in the world would you think it's not okay to call the one who actually is God, God? And if you're going to deny me at the end of the day, if you're going to reject me, you cannot deny my works because only God can do those kinds of things. When, what Jesus says here, once again, makes clear here, once again, What John has shown us over and over again in his gospel account is that Jesus is indeed fully God and fully man. And that's difficult for us to wrap our minds around. Our small little finite brains have a hard time understanding that, but we have to hold that to be true because Jesus tells us that that the scriptures tell us that. Now the religious leaders asked for a more clarifying statement. Tell us. Why won't you tell us plainly if you are the Christ? And here, whether or not they intended for it or not, Jesus tells them clearly and gives them way more than they were asking for. 
But their response from that, as often is the case, is some reject Jesus while others believe in him. Now, why does this matter for our own life? How does all of this fit together in our own life? I mean, Jesus has told you that if you're one of his sheep, if you are in him and you've heard his voice and you're following him, then you have eternal life and you're unsnatchable. That's not a flippant thing to say. That's not a throwaway kind of promise or phrase that Jesus makes. It's substantial. It affects your life here and now. It affects your eternity. So it matters who's making these claims. If Jesus is a charlatan, then there is no hope for anything he says for you. There should be no encouragement in what he says if he's a, a fake or a fraud. It matters because Jesus can't make a promise like this unless he is the sovereign God. But that's exactly who he is. See, Jesus is the Messiah. Jesus is the rescuer and redeemer. He is the Christ because Jesus is God. And that's amazing news of great grace for your life and for my life. Now, I'm guessing, or maybe you're thinking, well, okay, that's great and all. It sounds theological and that's encouraging at a high level, but how does that affect my day-to-day life? Well, I think it affects your day-to-day life in a lot of ways, but I just want to give you two as we wrap up our time. First, most of us long for security and certainty in our life. I think if we think about our life, we, we like knowing what's going to happen tomorrow, or at least have some level of certainty. And for most of us, most of the time, we do have some level of certainty. But if the last four months have shown us anything, that's a total charade, right? Like, we don't actually know what's going to happen tomorrow. We don't have that level of certainty in our life. We long for security, we long for certainty, and longing for that in and of itself isn't a bad thing. It's a matter of where you're looking to find it, where you're looking to find it. And it's in this text from these words that we learn that Jesus gives it to you, and he's able to give it to you. He can back up that promise to give you security, to give you certainty. He doesn't say it in a way that says, here, I'm going to promise you and tell you what's going to happen tomorrow in every aspect of your life but he tells you that your security and certainty is locked down for the most important thing in your life, which is your standing in your relationship with God, what matters the most. Here's what this means, that even if everything else in your life is stripped away from you, if everything was taken from you, everything that you hold dear, everything that you cherish in this life, it was completely taken away and you literally had nothing, you can know that you have God. Or better yet, that he has you. That he has you, that he holds on to you, never to be snatched away. Friends, people will disappoint you, but Jesus will never disappoint you. People are going to leave you and abandon you, but Jesus will never abandon you. In Jesus, you have the security and certainty that all of us long for. He will hold you fast, never to be snatched away. The second way that all of what Jesus says here affects our day-to-day life is how you relate to God. How you relate to God in your day-to-day life. If you are in Christ, Jesus says you're secure. That means that you're not working now to earn love from God. You are loved. You are loved in Christ. And so that means then that you live your life and your relationship with, before God from a place of already being loved by him, not gaining love from him. And so you can walk in obedience, not to earn something from God, but from a place of knowing that he's accepted you in Christ. You can work on your relationship with God, not out of duty, not out of drudgery, but out of delight and invitation that the Father calls you to himself, that he wants to be in relationship with you. And you can interact with him in that kind of way. Remember who Jesus is. He's not a CEO that's barking orders from on high 
or casting vision from a distance. He's the good shepherd who took on humanity, who entered into this world with you and is out in front leading you. He's gentle and lowly and he cares for you. He knows everything about your life. He cares about the details. Now, don't get me wrong. Jesus is still sovereign Lord and King. And Jesus speaks commands and he means for us to walk in those commands and walk in obedience and follow him. When he says, follow me, he actually means that, that our life would be conformed more and more to the image of Christ. But remember that as the king, he's the one who laid down his life for you, who sacrificed himself so that you would be able to walk in obedience. That means that all of his commands that he gives to you, they're not for a test for you to pass pass so that you can be accepted. Jesus doesn't give you a bunch of rules to follow and a bunch of commands saying, hey, if you do a good job with these, then I'll accept you in. Like it's your SAT scores or your LSATs or your GRE. Like I've got to do well. If I do well, then maybe they'll let me in. But Jesus' commands don't operate that way. They're for your good and for your joy. They're born out of love and the glory of God. It can be hard in this area in Northern Virginia to feel like we need Jesus. It can be hard to feel like we need Jesus. And so we look for and we find certainty and security in all kinds of different things. But all of those things, whatever they happen to be for you, whether it's material possessions or a professional position or outward looks or being liked by someone or loved by someone, all of those things are a distraction in your life that ultimately will disappoint you along the way, leaving you longing for more, trying to find something else to provide that for you. But Jesus Jesus makes known to you the path of life. In his presence, there is fullness of joy. At his right hand are pleasures forevermore, pleasures forevermore that will not rot, that will not rust, that will not run out on you. So come to Jesus today, whether that's for the first time in your life, if you've never trusted in him, or maybe it's for the thousandth time in your life, come with him, not with attempts to impress him. Come with empty hands, ready to cling to him, knowing that he will never let you go. Listen, if you are in Christ, you are found never to be lost, saved never to be forsaken, redeemed never to be condemned. In Christ and through Christ, you are unsnatchable because Jesus is who he says he is, the Son of God and the Savior of the world. So rest in that truth today and come back to it tomorrow when you feel tempted to find security or certainty in other things, someone or something else. And may the truth of that Jesus speaks here, continue to give you great joy in your life and peace all the days of your life until he comes again or calls you home. Let's pray. God, we thank you for this opportunity to be together. We thank you that your word makes so abundantly clear that, that salvation isn't up to us, that it's a gift of grace through faith that you give to us. Thank you, God, for tearing off the scales off our eyes to see our need for Jesus. God, thank you for saving us from our sin never to be snatched away. God, I pray that you would help us to rest in that reality and because of our position, our secure standing before you, that we would walk in obedience as an act of worship and love before you. And God, I pray that you would lead those who don't yet know you to hear the voice of Jesus and begin to follow you. God, give us peace today and send us out to tell the world of your great grace. May you get all the glory and honor and praise. We pray all this in Christ's name. Amen. Thank you so much for listening to this sermon from Sojourn Fairfax. If you have any questions, please feel free to email us at info at sojournfairfax.com. Go in peace.